Well, good morning, Axis Church. How's everybody doing? Happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers. And we always acknowledge all of our ladies on Mother's Day because I know that Mother's Day can be a great, wonderful day. But I also understand there's a lot of emotion with the Mother's Day because some of you have lost mothers or some of you would like to be a mother and it just hasn't worked out. And so we just want to acknowledge all of our ladies today. And we're just so glad you're here and, and welcome I realize I'm not Josh, I know this, Uh, normally we're every other week, but he has a big paper he's writing. He was like, could you help me out and do three weeks in a row, so you're going to see my face again next week, you just have to deal with that, he'll be back every other week coming up on a regular schedule, and that's good. Uh, You can't imagine all of what took place, how it took us to get up here today, because David and Amy, uh, who David leads worship, Amy over here, uh, they were trying to get out of their garage today, and their garage door broke. The spring broke on their garage door. They couldn't get out. They had to call somebody else. Hey, hurry up and get us. We got to get there for rehearsal. And so if anybody knows anything about garage doors, you can certainly talk to those guys. And, and uh, today we are paying special attention to my mom because uh, my sister passed away three years ago today. I did not realize that until our team told us that behind uh, backstage today. So we're going to pay special attention to her as well. Let's, let's have a word of prayer today. Uh, God, we give you thanks for uh, this special day where we celebrate our moms. We really celebrate just the gift of their nurturing, their caring. And God, I know that Mother's Day for some is a bit bittersweet. Maybe they lost their mother and so... That's difficult. Or maybe there's an estranged relationship, and that's difficult. Or maybe a mom has a strained relationship with a child, and that's difficult. Or maybe someone's dealing with the pain of not being able to have a child of their own. And so, God, for all of these things, we just are bringing all of that to the table today. And we're just bringing it before you to say, God, we love you. We thank you for your grace, and we thank you for just giving us just the ability to be here today and to be able to celebrate it all. And we just are thankful for Christ, our Savior, and we pray in His name. Amen. Well, we are in a series called Home Team. We are talking about the family during this month. And we're talking about family relationships. And today, I'm going to focus on forgetting our failures, forgetting the failures of others. And one of the things that destroys families and marriages more than anything else is holding on to grudges and not forgiving somebody. In every sport that you'll ever play, if you had a good coach... If you make a mistake, what's the coach going to tell you? Forget the last play and move forward. Hey, coach, I struck out. Forget it. Move forward. Hey, coach, I threw an interception. Forget it. Move on. Hey, I missed the goal. Don't worry about that. Why? Because when you look back, you cannot move forward, okay? When you look back, you can't move forward. And, And one of the ways that we get stuck in our relationships is we don't move forward toward reconciliation or toward forgiveness We hold on to past grudges. Robert Louis Stevenson once told of two elderly sisters who had a falling out. They lived together, but they were so bitter, they took a piece of chalk and they divided each room of their house. And one side of the house, they had one of them. On the other side of the house, they had the other one. And they refused to acknowledge the presence of their sister all the remaining days of their life. There are invisible chalk lines in our relationships sometimes. We don't see them, but they are there. 
and we build these walls and we build these barriers and we just try to stay out of each other's ways. And those lines and those walls and that lack of forgiveness can harm your personality. It can really affect your body. It can affect you physically. It can affect your mentality. Some of those offenses are so major. Some of them are minor, but they all make a difference. I read about a little uh, a teacher in, in an upper class California city that asked her sixth graders to complete a creative written assignment, and what they were going to be asked was just simply this phrase, I wish, and then you fill in the blank, I wish, whatever. And she expected them to say, I wish for a puppy, I wish for a kitty, cat, I wish for a new car, I wish for a bicycle, whatever. And, and 20 out of the 30 wrote something about their family. I wish my parents wouldn't fight. I wish my father would come back. I wish my mother didn't have a boyfriend. I wish I could get straight A's and my dad would love me. I wish my parents were still together. And maybe you have some things on that wish list. Maybe your parents got divorced and left you with long-term pain, or perhaps your mate had an affair and left you for somebody else. Maybe a sibling cheated you out of some money, or maybe you were in business together. You had a family business and you have harmed relationships. Your grandparents neglected you because you were adopted. Your children never visit or they don't make contact with you. Your mother and father drank heavily and your home was a pressure cooker. Your stepmother has come between you and your dad or your stepchild has become, come between you and your spouse. Your husband beats you physically. Your wife humiliates you or verbally abuses you. And while you cover it up with a smile, you're seething inside. And maybe you had something even worse. Maybe you were sexually molested as a child. An L.A. Times estimated, story estimated that as many as one in four people in the United States have been sexually molested as a child. There are dozens of ways that we can hurt one another in family relationships. Those that we seek the approval of the most sometimes can hurt us the most. And so we guard our hearts, we guard our emotions, and we look for ways to get even. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 tells us, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And friends, that is not easy to do. It is human nature to draw lines and to keep our distance. And, and we kind of rather enjoy holding our grudges and maybe making our adversary our enemy and seeking creative ways to get even. We're kind of like the little boy who had to stand in the corner for half an hour before supper. His mom and dad put him in timeout. And uh, it's silent, finally dinner time. They said, you can come to the table. And to add insult to injury, the dad asked the little boy, would you pray for our meal tonight? And the boy didn't want to pray for the meal, but he did what his father asked. And he said, dear Lord, I thank you for preparing this table before me in the presence of mine enemies. <laughs> uh, maybe we've been there. And so it's human nature to get even. Here, Hebrews chapter 12 reminds us, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up within you causing trouble and defiling many. Don't allow that root of bitterness to grow up in you. And let me just say, today I'm not talking about the person that offended you so much as I'm talking about you, okay? As much as I'm just talking to you as somebody who might have been wounded, somebody who might have been offended, and I think that the story in the Bible that captures this the best 
is the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. And what I want to do is tell the story, and then I'll just give some application, all right? Joseph was a young man who was favored by his dad. So much so, his dad created a coat of many colors for him. And his brother, I mean, and Joseph, as a, as a young kid, kind of flaunted that before his brothers, all right? He kind of made it a big deal. And his brothers got jealous. So much so that they said, we're going to take this kid and we're going to kill him. Now, you thought you had sibling rivalry, all right? I mean, I never wanted to kill my brother. I did throw a weeble wobble at him one time, and it went right through the window, made a perfect weeble wobble hole, didn't it? He's here, you know, and it was like we were so astounded. It was like a perfect glass cut that the argument was over, you know. My, my, my dad told one time that their older sister threw a butcher knife between her, him and his twin brother, and it stuck in the door between their heads. Crazy. Maybe you never did that, but here are these brothers, and they took him out to kill him, and they decided in the process of that, hey, let's not put that on our heads. And some, some Ishmaelite traders came by, and they were going to trade him then. They traded their brother, and then they told their father that he had died. And meanwhile, he was taken off into Egypt and sold into slavery. Now put yourself in this story because he is 17 years old. 17 years old, he's in a foreign country, away from the father who loves him, away from his family, away from his homeland, and now he is there working hard in slave labor in Egypt. And this could be a story where he could easily build up resentment and hatred toward his brothers. And he could just be plotting to himself, how am I going to get back? But Joseph was faithful to God. He bloomed where he was planted, and he proved himself such an impressive worker that he grew through the ranks in Egypt, eventually becoming the second most powerful person in Egypt. He even accurately predicted a famine that was going to happen, and he brilliantly masterminded a grain storage and, uh, and distribution plan that was going to provide for the country and the surrounding areas so that they would all have food. So here he is, mid-30s, been through a lot in his life, and, and could have had all this bitterness, and now he is prominent, wealthy, influential, respected. It is at that moment that this famine strikes not just Egypt, but the surrounding areas. In fact, his brothers back in Canaan land, and they, do, they have a plan. Let's go to Egypt because they have a brilliant storage food plan. Let's go see if they'll give us some grain. And so those guys travel over. Ten of the brothers travel over. They leave one home. They're all traveling over. And now there they are before Joseph. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. Here he is. Maybe he's, uh, I don't know, bronze with the sun. Maybe he's just older. Maybe he has lines on his face. And they just don't recognize him. So what will he do in this moment? How will he uh, respond? Genesis chapter 42 says that the brothers bowed low before him with their faces to the earth. And, and Joseph says, where are you from? He demanded roughly. From the land of Canaan, they replied, we've come to buy grain. So here's the moment of truth. What will Joseph do? Will he take all of this hatred, all of this bitterness, all of this anger that might have been there? Will he humiliate them? Will he make them grovel? Will he make them beg for their lives? Will he throw them in jail? Well, he did for three days. He did throw them in jail, but that was just to kind of get his mind together. I need to kind of figure this out. They didn't know him. He didn't know them. He put him there for a little while, and then he brought him back out. And Genesis chapter 45 
tells us the moment where now Joseph is with his brothers, they still don't recognize him. But in verse 1, it says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brother, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Who wouldn't be? Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they did so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve to you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph finally released the past, reconciled to his brothers, and God used him in an incredible way to save, literally save, the people of Israel. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you have may have against each other. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's the story. Now I want to give you kind of some principles that are going to apply to your life and mine as we deal with how to forgive others. And one of them is just have the will to forgive. We, we may never feel like forgiving. It doesn't feel good at first. We may enjoy kind of nursing resentment and building a coalition against the enemy, plotting revenge. You may not feel like forgiving, but you should forgive. And why should you do it? I think because God commands it. Mark chapter 11 says, When you stand praying, if you hold anything against your brother, anything, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Forgiveness, guys, is not an option for those who follow Christ. It's a command. In fact, we're told repeatedly that if we want God to forgive our sins, we have to forgive those that have harmed us. Jesus taught us to pray, Father, forgive our sin as we forgive those who sin against us. And if it's not enough that God commanded you to do it, you have to do it for your own benefit. Why? Because you know that lack of forgiveness means we're holding grudges, it means it affects our stomach, it affects our head, it affects our body, it affects our personality. But forgiveness liberates us from the past. In his book, None of These Diseases, S.I. McMillan talks about the effect resentment has on our bodies. It causes fatigue, drains us of energy, causes backaches, stomach aches, headaches, and it ultimately harms you. Um... I like what Stephen Donnelly told me after first service. He said his dad told him one time that for a lack of forgiveness is the poison that we drink expecting to harm the other person. Now think about that. A lack of forgiveness is the poison we drink expecting that it will harm the other person when in fact it harms us. Dale Carnegie used to tell about a grizzly bear he saw that was eating garbage that had been turned over at Yosemite Park. Grizzly bears don't have any fear. They're at the top of the food chain. Hey, if a deer comes by, a fox comes by, he's going to scare that thing off and enjoy his garbage meal there. But he said one day, Gail Carnegie noticed that a skunk walked up and started to share the meal with him. And as you can imagine, the grizzly decided he could skip a meal this time. And he did. He didn't want to bother to scare that skunk off. He could have destroyed it. But you know what he did? 
he understood the high cost of getting even. And friends, if we harbor resentment, you can try to destroy your enemy, but ultimately there's going to be something that's going to be backlashed on us. Forgiveness releases anger. Secondly, place blame where it belongs. And this is interesting because sometimes the part of the blame might be ours. And we just have to be honest enough to accept responsibility for our part in this. Jesus said, if when you worship God, you remember that your brother has something against you, leave the worship, go and be reconciled to your brother. Now, sometimes we are waiting for a family member to apologize to us, but what we actually need to do to open up the door of reconciliation is to, is to apologize the things, for the things that we can apologize for, for the sake of reconciliation. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with all men. And the key there is, as far as it depends on you. You can't do everything, but you can do something. But listen, sometimes people blame themselves for things they should never take responsibility for. We call this false guilt. This is when you feel bad for something. Somebody's made you feel bad for something. You should never feel bad for it. And so you think, if I were a better wife, my husband would not have beaten me. No, he has a terrible character flaw. Nothing justifies that. If I'd been a better child, my parents would have gotten, uh, not gotten, uh, gotten along better and they wouldn't have gotten a divorce. No, you're not responsible for their marriage. Maybe if I had not sat on my uncle's lap, maybe if I'd been more resist- resistant, I wouldn't have been abused. No, he chose to do that as a horrible thing. People go through the excusing of sinful behavior and, uh, and, and, and sometimes they put blame upon themselves that they don't own. So it's important for us to own what we need to, but don't own more than we need to. Joseph didn't say, oh, guys, look, I was a bratty kid. I shouldn't have flaunted my dreams to you. And and so therefore, it's okay for you to try to kill me. Um, No, he's like, look, I, I forgive you for the past. Sometimes holding the guilty accountable does mean you have to confront them. Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins against you, go show him his fault first. Just between the two of you, if he listens to you, you've won your brother over. And the key there is that you went to him alone. And what usually happens when we hold a grudge or we harbor resentment is we tried to build a coalition against a person. We actually call this triangling. This is when two people get together and say, we're going to hold a grudge against somebody, and I have brought somebody into that relationship. I brought somebody else to side with me so that we can be against you. The Bible just says, you go to that individual, and we do it tentatively, and, and, and we go into it humbly. The confrontation can be healthy, and sometimes it can be wise. And sometimes it can't be wise. So you have to do it prayerfully, because sometimes... The other person is still in such an angry, harsh, or abusive position that it's not okay at that time to try to go to them and have that conversation. And that's okay too. But you can still offer forgiveness out of your heart. Number three, release the right to retaliate. Joseph's brothers had committed a terrible crime. They deserved to be punished. And he had authority and opportunity to now punish them. He could have done it, but he didn't. Forgiveness is not saying what you did was okay or I was wrong. And it's not pretending that nothing happened. It's not saying don't think about it. It was nothing. It's not excusing it. It is just simply releasing the right to retaliate. It it chooses to suffer the hurt instead of getting even. 
Forgiveness means I'm going to release the right to retaliate. In the movie The Mission, there was a slave trader that eventually becomes a Jesuit monk. And he did that in order to escape penalty from um, the fact that he actually killed his brother. And so he's traveling with the monks through the jungles, over the mountains, and he was hauling behind him a stash of weapons, heavy. He did that as his own penance. He said, I'm going to carry these weapons as a penance for harming my brother. But when the party reached the summit of the last mountain, the traitor comes face to face with the child of one of the slaves that he had captured and sold. The man is struggling with his last few, few steps. He has a heavy baggage on him of weaponry. And this child, who had now grown, took a knife out in his hand. Moment of truth. Will the child of the slave kill the man who harmed his father, or will he release him? And instead of killing the slave trader, the child takes his knife and cuts the man free from his huge burden, which eventually then goes tumbling down the mountainside. And he was free. And friends, I want you to know that forgiveness can be a long, painful process. The wounds can be deep. It can take a while to heal. But when you release that burden, you're able to walk in freedom. When we forgive, we're releasing the other person from the past. The Bible says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Number four, focus on God's providence. Focus on God's providence. I love what Joseph does here because he actually says, my brothers, you meant this for harm, but God meant it for good. Talk about seeing a different perspective. You meant it for harm. God meant it for good. You can spend the rest of your life wallowing in self-pity and resenting the family member who offended you. Or you can look for ways that God can use that in your current circumstance. It, God didn't cause that evil to happen, but he can certainly use it. And the Bible tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, that God comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received. In other words, who is better to talk to someone who's going through an addiction than somebody who's been through an addiction and defeated it? Who would be better to go to have a conversation with somebody who was abused so that now they can help that other person who is being abused? And friends, the best way, I think, to use your harm is to find ways to find individuals or to pray for it and say, how can I walk with you through this? Look for those opportunities. Don't look behind you. Look ahead of you. Number five, restore trust as it's merited. In the story of Joseph, he actually tests his brothers to see if they're trustworthy and if they've grown. What he did was he took a silver kind of a mug, and he put it in one of the bags of grain that he was going to send back with his brothers. <laughs> Each one of them carried a bag of grain back. And, and so he put it in there, and then as they left, he accused them of stealing it. He said, one of you stole a silver mug. And they were all like, no, we didn't do that. We promise. We just need this grain. We're going back home. Well, he had all his attendants open up all the bags. And sure enough, in the youngest son, Benjamin, he had that chalice, I mean, that mug in his bag. And Joseph says, we're going to take him to prison. I'm taking him out right now just to see what the brothers would do. And Judah, the older brother, said, instead of taking Benjamin, would you take me instead? Please take me instead. 
And Joseph, broken by that moment, realized that his brothers had now become more mature and they had grown and they had learned their lessons. And Joseph just wanted to see, are they now trustworthy? Friends, don't be naive about forgiveness. Um, and forgiveness is immediately releasing responsibility. It is immediately saying, I'm going to give you a gift in forgiveness. But there is a difference between forgiveness and trust. Forgiveness is an immediate gift. Trust usually takes time. If you discover that your fiancé is cheating on you two months before the wedding, you should forgive him, but that doesn't mean you should marry him. If you discover your child is lying to you and doing drugs at parties, you should forgive the child, but that doesn't mean you lift all restrictions. Forgiveness is that instant gift. Trust does take time. But, but when it has been regained, continue to grow in trust once again. Finally, number six, express kindness to the offender. Romans 12, 19 says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And by the way, that's not literal. So, all right, those of you who want to get back and some of you are like, Oh, cool, I get to put burning coals in their head. This is going to be fun. No, no, no. No, no, he's just saying that what you're going to do is they're going to feel a guilty conscience burning coals on their head by the fact that you're being kind to them. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Joseph was so generous to his brothers from the beginning. He returned their money. He made a sumptuous banquet for them. He gave them royal treatment. He didn't just say, I forgive you, now go home and let's let bygones be bygones. No, he said, go get my dad. Come back. Come live here. And ultimately, he said, I'm going to give you land and we're going to live here. And this really charted the future for the Israelites for hundreds of years to come. Joseph expressed kindness. And friends, if you want to really forgive, find some ways to express kindness to the one who's wounded you. Don't put them on probation. Don't keep them at arm's distance. Don't hold it over their head. Forgive as God has forgiven you. Just as he has generously given us all things, even though we deserve punishment. Matthew 5, 43 says, Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and praise for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. One woman was deeply victimized by her dad. And in many years after, in reflection to that event, and now in an attempt to release the past, she writes, the Holy Spirit taught me that just as I felt ashamed, Disappointed, embarrassed, confused, hateful, resentful, angry, sad, disgusted about my aggressor's sin. So the Heavenly Father felt about my own sin. Yet He was willing to die on a cross to forgive me. While I was still a sinner, <coughs> Christ died for me. Surely I can die to myself and my rights in order to forgive the other human being. But this was only accomplished by prayer and faith and daily choosing to love in spite of. <clears throat> There's a Hallmark card that reads, Sometimes we have to let go of the past in order to enjoy the present and be able to dream of the future. Friends, I want to pray for you as we think about forgiving, <clears throat> releasing that past. Would you bow your heads? Father in heaven, 
We understand this is a difficult topic. It comes with a lot of emotion. There, there is undoubtedly somebody in here who has trouble with intimacy with their spouse because in high school or college they had a date rape. And they just have trouble trusting, being open. There, there's somebody in here who was abused by a parent or an uncle or someone that was in their circle of influence. Because of that, it's affected their self-esteem, what they believe about themselves. There, there's somebody who deal with their own level of anxiety and insecurity because they grew up in a home where the parents were alcoholic. And they were unsure how their parents were going to react in the next moment. God, there, is, there are a hundred scenarios of different ways that we are justified, that we feel like we can hold on to this grudge from the past. And yet, God, the Bible says very clearly that if we refuse to forgive our brother, then our Heavenly Father will not forgive us. And so, God, today, we want to offer and extend and release the past. We want to offer forgiveness as a gift, expecting nothing in return. There may not be an apology on the other side. There might not be what we want or what we hope or what we expect. But, God, all we can do is do our part at living at peace with all people. And so, God, would you give us the strength and the power and the willingness today to release and to let go because God we know we cannot move forward in the present if we keep looking backward toward the past and toward that end God we need your help we pray the Holy Spirit would guide us direct us and lead us and we thank you for loving us God we pray this in Jesus name Amen